Hello, everybody. Listen, listen, listening world, hello, and welcome back to Football Unfocused after our, uh, well, we had a two-month hiatus, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Some people thought we'd never come back. Some people didn't <laughs> notice that we'd even gone. I'd say... Or we'd even been. Of the, of the sort of five or six people who often listen to this bollocks, uh, probably... I've, I think I've only heard from one or two of them who said, like, are you going to start doing that again? And, and, and the rest have probably just assumed we gave up. <laughs> By the way, if you are listening to this for the first time, my name is Mark. That idiot you're, uh, you can hear there is uh, Matthew, and we do a, uh, a, a, a well, supposedly weekly uh, football podcast, loosely football-based podcast, in which we, we don't claim to have any expertise or insight. We just like chatting about football and you may notice that we have slightly different um, perspectives in terms of our devotion to the game and knowledge of uh, <laughs> isn't that right Matt well yeah I could say that so it isn't helped when I message you and I say oh so what do you want to talk about to give me a little bit of a heads up so I can do you know some um, a bit of brushing up if and then I, you just if... said oh we'll riff it yeah, because you can riff it if you're talking to someone else who actually knows about football. <laughs> the problem is we're doing doing a podcast with play, you. Isn't that a saying? You got to play the ball, or you got to play the team, or something. Isn't that a, an expression? You can only you can you're only as good as your the people around you. You've, what you've done there is you are currently <laughs> kind of amalgamating three different <laughs> phrases and getting them all wrong. Getting them all wrong separately. Brilliant. <laughs> Idioms, is that what they call them? Idioms. idioms is that what they call them? Idioms? Little phrases like that? Yeah, that could be a podcast. Just sitting around chatting about what <laughs> constitutes an idiom and uh, <laughs> and whether or not what you've just said is A, an idiom, or B, correct. <laughs> yeah, that, I'll tell you what, we, we, you think we're getting a lot of listeners now. If we switch to that, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. blow up the internet, I think. Wow. Well, well, so Matthew, what have you been doing with your uh, summer break? Oh, uh, yeah. So we met up on Sunday and I was going to say this is a bit of an issue because I haven't really been following any football um, or... Mm. That, How do, how's that it, any different it, from before? Well, it it kind of peaked a little bit during the Euros. I was I was sort of following it and I knew some of the players on the pitch and that sort of thing. But now I'm back to... Um, not being able to name the entire 11 players who play for Tottenham, which is who I support. Yeah. Well, I'd say I'd say not being able to name 11 is... Really, I mean, you're being quite generous to yourself there because you, you barely <laughs> named four. I think when I set you that challenge, you, I think you got about you, four or five of them. That was when I supported Blackburn Rovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I asked you, I asked you to name the Blackburn League winning team, didn't I, in 1995? And, um, That's right. And, I don't and you were like, them anymore. They won the league in 1995. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I supported them, wow. God, they did well, didn't they? I should have carried on supporting them. <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, Matthew, do you like the smell of chlorine? Uh, yeah, I guess because I used to swim quite a bit when I was younger. So not, not because of that, but it makes me think of clean things. Mm. Mm. And... Um, yeah. Is that important to you, Matthew? Uh, do you like do you like being clean? Yeah. <laughs> what opposed to being dirty? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's the Alan Partridge? Oh, oh you're so dirty, Joe. You're so. <laughs> <laughs> you're the sort of woman who would call a spade a spade. 
Actually, you'd probably say a large tool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A final question, Matthew. What's your favourite coffee? Um, it's it's such a boring answer, but it's a an oat, oat milk cappuccino. That's not. I'd say that's that's more interesting than than, than anything you've ever said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That makes you sound like you've got, you know, character and individualism, <laughs> something about you. What about just putting oat milk in an in a another type of coffee, like just topping ne- up your americano? Yeah, <laughs> I've never got that far. No, you see, it needs to be whipped up and frothy to satisfy your uh, your requirements, yeah. does it? I don't know what's funny. I'm asking you a serious question. <laughs> All right, I'm trying to yes, find out more need, about you. It, it needs to be whipped up and frothy for me to get any pleasure from it. Good, good. <laughs> okay, more on that next week. So, Matt, what do you? I mean, is there any? Do you want me to just start moaning about things that have pissed me off over the last uh, couple of months uh, with football, or uh, is it actually? Um, have you have you noticed anything? I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you noticed anything? It doesn't even have to be about football. Have you have you actually noticed anything? Well, we spoke a little bit on Sunday about, uh, as in when we met up, um, about Harry Kane's um, slightly botched attempt to to get a massive uh, uh, payoff and head off to uh, Man City. Um, and just probably how... You've, it's interesting how you phrase that, Matt. Yeah, no, I mean, I've phrased that in a way that Suggesting I wasn't Suggesting that it's entirely motivated by money. No, no, yeah, that's it. I don't think well, money had anything to do with it. No, I think I, I do. So I do really sympathise for him. I think he has given probably almost his best years. I mean, they're not if they're not now, then they're not going to be too far off to the club that sort of supported and fostered him. And um, I think. Yeah, and and I don't think he'll ever be worth 120 million again. Um, I think a lot of the players probably were all worth their peak who came out of the England team. Mm. I think Jack Grealish probably got 100 million because of his um, England. Well, he's a couple of years uh, younger than Harry Kane as well, isn't he? Harry yeah, Kane's I think pushing 28, isn't he? Or is he actually yeah, already 28? 20, I think he's actually 28. Yeah. Yeah. These days isn't necessarily a big concern because players, you know, nutrition, the way players look after each other, um, after themselves and are looked after, means that they can, I think they can reasonably expect to have much longer careers than they could have done in the past. And turning 30 isn't like the big deal it used to be. And you only have to look at Messi and Ronaldo. Do you know what I nearly Mm. did there? I nearly did this. One of my long list of things that drive me fucking insane about football is the use of false plurals. So it's like everybody who has um, the opportunity to uh, uh, do football punditry or talk about football in any way, it's like they have to sign a, an agreement that they're going to, to talk in a specific style using false plurals. So rather than saying, uh, say they've got a sentence and they'll say, oh, um, yeah, and that's really changed in the last 10 years with... Um, the standards that have been set by Ronaldo and Messi, they'll say that's what happens um, when you follow the example of the Ronaldos and your Messis. Oh, now, there's, right. there's only one of each of those people. So why the yeah. fuck do people do that? Why do they say your Ronaldos, your Messis, your Lewandowskis? Good God. Every time I hear someone talk like that, I want to put my face through the wall. It really does my head in. Um, 
So what's your what's your conclusion about um, the Harry Kane I, thing then? Yeah, yeah, he 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 clearly got outmaneuvered. I mean, almost he he was kind of. Did you not see that was inevitable up. from the start? He was always going to get outmaneuvered. No. He was dealing with Daniel Levy. I think, well, yeah, but I think, and we mentioned this, you know, how he he possibly doesn't have the most experienced of team around him, maybe. Yeah, but then you've got Paul Pogba over at the Manx who's been trying to get a move out of Old Trafford for about the last three years consecutive. He's been absolutely desperate to leave and he's now gone into like the last year of his contract. Um, and he's advised and managed by one of the like one of these kind of super agents. And mm. Mina Raola, I believe, isn't it, with him? And uh, and that hasn't made any difference to him. Every time they've oh, agitated yeah. for a move, he's ended up sticking around. Now... You've got to remember that in order for a transfer to happen, it isn't just about the will of the player and the battle between the player and the club. You've also got to have an offer uh, accepted. You've got to have a winning buyer. We don't even know for a fact whether Manchester City ever put an offer on the table that Tottenham seriously considered or rejected. Um, So, so much of this has been hearsay um, and people kind of jump to their own conclusions. This is one of my objections to this time of year. I'm somebody who um, is, is, as you know, very much a lot of my life tends to revolve around uh, around football. Um, but I do, but that doesn't mean I'm so obsessed with it. I can't stand to be without it, and I enjoy a break. Uh, and the minute that the international football tournament finished um, in the summer, I'm thinking, right, good. I need now five weeks where I don't think about it. And you know, you get some people who are just looking at the. They're obsessed with like the the transfer speculation and all that. I'm not one of these people. I, I just like when a transfer happens or if it's on the verge of happening, I'll kind of listen to news about it. But I'm not scrolling through um, reams and reams of social media rumours and various bulletins on you know fucking um, tomorrow's chip paper crap, worthless tabloid journalist. Uh, um, and then, and then rubbish, you know, half-baked stories. And and also, uh, you know, it's just, it's what fuels, you know, crap like Talk Sport, which is a radio station aimed at people with, you know, a, a one brain cell between the entire listenership. Uh, they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, for, for the transfer window. And Sky Sports have made so much play of it over the years. And the transfer windows have actually become, they're becoming less and less exciting you're getting less and less last-minute business. Um, the drama seems to have gone. And also the spending is now so concentrated at the two or three kind of elite clubs. And elite, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean the most successful. It just means the clubs with the deepest pockets that are able to distort the market. Um, and I actually find the transfer window the the least uh, interesting and least appetising time of the year. It's, it's, it's the only time of the year that makes me sometimes think, why do I bother with this? Like, seriously, like, it, it sometimes turns my stomach, the extent to which it's so vulgar. Like, these clubs that only a few months ago were um, trying to rip off their fans and steal football from uh, the areas, that they're, the leagues in which they're playing to create a, a money-making exercise, a marketing exercise for their super brands that they're obsessed with creating, um, are now... You know, but you know, back in the process of trying to ensure that they're they've got an impenetrable um, uh, assault <coughs> assault on the the quest to win the Premier League or the 
or the Champions League. And I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I, when, the, when the football's being played, I care greatly. And obviously, as a Liverpool fan, I want Liverpool to win every single match. But in the build-up to it, do, you know, I, I, I can't get excited when some, some fucking twat puts a meme out to talk about how delighted they are to be, a, you know, to have joined a club that's their dream to join. And the fact that they're being paid half a million quid a week uh, is neither here nor there. And I just like, oh, I just, I don't care about this anymore. Maybe it's an age thing, and like maybe, maybe that all that stuff is for you know the kids uh, who are more excited by the kind of shiny side of football. But I'm just like, nah, I'm, 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 I'm done with this shit. And I think one of the main reasons for that is because um, I am sick and tired of the entitlement, the sense of entitlement of so many modern football supporters, and I use the word supporter loosely because I mean mostly the type of people who spend all their time on Twitter spaffing off their opinions uh, that are mostly worthless. I'd say only a fraction of these people actually get off their ass and go and actually to, into stadiums to watch their teams play. Um, but they, they'll spend the whole summer moaning as if they've, they've got some sort of entitlement that a business of which they have no control and no real kind of relation to other than they like to see it do well, are not spending money. They're either, A, not spending enough money or they're not spending money in a way that they feel uh, that business should be. And what, what like, <clears throat> there was a time when being a football fan was, right, you pick your team, you follow them with all your heart, and you want them to do well, and a signing, you know, is something to be excited about and celebrated. But people are losing their mind that, oh, because they haven't spent £100 million on anybody, but that means they're somehow not ambitious. And what it does is it completely misunderstands the um, the business model of the different clubs. It is absolutely futile to try and compare. If you support essentially anybody other than... Chelsea and Manchester City, and to a certain extent uh, that other lot from Manchester, then and you expect your club to kind of match their level of spending. It's it's a, a fool's errand. It's, it's absolutely pointless thinking that way. For a start, the Americans, with the exception of the Glazers, have a slightly different business model. But American owners like Arsenal and Liverpool are rare in football in that they're sporting owners who are in it in it to make a profit. So. Where have Liverpool spent their money in the last few years? They spent money that they had generated by selling players. They sold Philip Coutinho for an extraordinary amount of money. Uh, that, that, you know, I mean, you look at that now, it looks like absolute daylight robbery because it, 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 it was the, one of the key things that led to Barcelona now almost being bankrupt. Kind of got that wheel and turning. And with that money, they brought key expensive players that filled holes where they had a particular area of weakness, Van Dijk, Alison Becker, turned them from a Neely team into European and, and league champions. But that's the way in which that, you know, that business model works. They're, they're never going to, they're going to either, they're either going to spend from uh, profits that they've made, operation, operating profits over a, over a year, or they're going to spend from player sales. So to expect them really to go into a transfer window and just come up with a couple of hundred million pounds and just start 
dashing it around all over the place. It's completely unrealistic. You're just not, not going to get that. But it's, what's going to be interesting, I think, about this season is whether that's going to work because you're now up against essentially two state-funded teams. <laughs> I mean, they are state-funded. You've got Chelsea, who were you know that stolen um, assets from the, the people of Siberia that in the in the kind of bandit country that was the, the years straight after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Abramovich was in a position to just hoover up um, what was previously sort of collectively owned wealth um, and keep it all for himself and then spend that on a vanity project of a football club. Now, if you're, if you're happy with that and you have no moral objection with that and you think it's more important to keep signing shiny new players and winning trophies and, you know, leave your morals at the door. That's absolutely fine. You know, I'm not judging anyone because this is the thing. Eh? No, but this is the thing. It's out. Well, this, this is the thing. All all football fans will moan about that type of stuff. That 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 model of ownership. But then the second that, that one of them uh, oligarchs or whatever comes and takes over the club, they're dancing in the street, fucking celebrating. <laughs> uh, and then you've got Manchester City, who even worse. That I mean, that is actually that you know them and PSG are state-backed football clubs. They've got limitless amounts of money. So they're never, you know, their challenge isn't to, you know, to, to kind of spend money. It's to hide the way they spend money to comply with financial fair play uh, rules. And that's what UEFA have tried to sting Man City, haven't they, a couple of times. And City challenged it and actually overturned it. And it was quite an embarrassing climb down for UEFA because I think the Court of Arbitration for Sport not only overturned it, but said it was it was kind of frivolous um, and quite a kind of mean-spirited attempt to, to undermine them in the first place. But that's a demonstration that UEFA have always protected the status quo. Financial fair play was brought in to protect the original elite clubs. They don't like it when suddenly Chelsea or Man City or PSG have access to billions of pounds because the likes of Florentino Perez at, um, at Real Madrid um, – are, are threatened by it and he's an incredibly influential man and all of a sudden there's this uh, Super League idea isn't that by the way interesting on that subject that he's been moaning for that that guy that absolute clown Perez has been moaning for months about how Real Madrid are on the verge of bankruptcy and the only way to save the club is to um, embark upon this European Super League and that's the only way that Real Madrid will ever be able to compete poor little Real Madrid you know the most successful and biggest club in the world. But, oh, we can't now compete. We're being out-muscled financially. If we don't have this European Super League, we don't even know how we're going to pay the electricity bill. And then just before the transfer window, they're offering £200 million for Kylian Mbappe. (laughs) So they didn't. it wasn't successful. But where was that money going to come from for a club that's bankrupt? (laughs) At least Barcelona, they're declaring that they're in financial problem and they're literally letting everybody go. It's like a fire sale. I mean, that is an absolute catastrophe for them. Goodness (laughs) Um, they felt there was a slight tension between you sort of kind of despise the clubs because of the way they were trying to steal football during the 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 great uh europe super league project um but at the same time you also don't yeah (laughs) but you don't think too much of the fans either um in their sort of entitled way that they think um no, I just dislike everyone, mate. I'm, 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 I'm a man rapidly approaching 40 years old, so obviously I'm, I'm cynical and worn down by life, and I just like I dislike everybody. Um, is it is it is it kind of the money element? Yeah, that's what turns me off. That's what turns me off. It's the point at which it's 
it's look. There's always been money in football, yeah. That's fine. There's always, you know, and the, the most successful clubs have tended to be the ones who spend the most money or spend their money in, you know, the most wisely. And that's that's been the same since the dawn of time. What has changed now is a the disparity between the very richest and the poorest, not just across the the sort of professional divisions, but within the Premier League. There's people used to say there's probably you know three or four tiers in the Premier League. There's probably about eight tiers now in terms of wealth. And it's a miracle, really, that anybody other than the the, um, the two Manchester teams and Chelsea ever have any chance of winning anything. Because, I mean, those clubs, really, if they don't win everything at all times, they should almost be ashamed of themselves. I mean, that lot from Old Trafford haven't won the league since 2013. And they've, been, they've spent, I think, well over a billion pound on players, a billion pound. Might might even be pushing two billion. It's, it is something extraordinary, and most of that, probably ninety percent of that, has been just flushed down the toilet on shit, vanity signings that never worked out, that were never right in the first place. They were kind of I don't know who was making the decision, the marketing board or whatever. Who's going to sell? the most shirts or who's going to kind of, you know, create the most Insta followers or whatever, rather than, well, you know, we need a right back. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, 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 it's not the fact that it, there's so much money around, although that is, it is a little bit dispiriting because you've, because it, you've just got, you know, Manchester city can spend a hundred million pound on one player and not even blink. It's, you know, it's fine. And, and, I mean, I still don't quite understand how they can comply with financial fair play because you look at their their stadium on the telly, and there's always big gaps in the ground. So I'm thinking, well, okay, your your operating rev your revenue can't be as high as um, some of the genuine kind of more historic giants of. And I'm not over the pot because Man City are a proper big club. They always, you know, I actually believe that they certainly, you know, going back to the sort of 60s and 70s. They're a, they're a bigger club historically than Chelsea, by the way. And, you know, Man City were winning the league in the in the late 60s. And even and I will say as well, to their credit, when they went in the late 90s, when they had a spell in League One, they were still getting, you know, upwards of 25,000 sort of turning up for, you know, unglamorous games against uh, York City and Shrewsbury Town. So fair play, you know. I've, I don't have a problem with Man City. And I've always liked their success to, to a large extent, because it, you know, it pisses off a, a certain other team that might might happen to play in the same locale. Um, mm-hmm. But but it isn't. I, but it is difficult to make a case as to how it's fair, because that, that they they have limitless amounts of money. They don't have to worry about kind of you know budgeting and and kind of profit margins that that in the way that other clubs do. And it's it is like a completely. Um, different type of organisation, but competing in the same division for the same things. And it's the same with Chelsea. Chelsea, to their credit, um, have tried, I think, pretty much since around the time that they won the first Champions League in 2012, I think they, they pride themselves on trying to um, spend money in, you know, in, in a slightly more kind of you know, sustainable, business-focused way. But then that all seems to have gone out the window in the last couple of years. Because, I mean, all right, they sold Eden Hazard. They made a load of money on him. But I mean, they, they have signed a, 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 like a deluge of footballers. It's like just elite player after elite player. I went to the game on Saturday. Their bench 
is ridiculous. Their bench would have a chance of winning the league. You just think, <laughs> God, like, and they signed another uh, midfielder yesterday. They've already got one of the best midfields in the world. And they signed another midfielder from Atletico um, Madrid. So you think, well, do you need that many players? You've already got um, a backlog of really talented kids that you produce through your academy that never get a look in. You know, Mason Mount is a rarity and um, uh, Rich James, you know, they're, 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 they're the, the exception to the rule because the vast majority of players who make it through Chelsea end up uh, being loaned out endlessly, like someone like Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And I think now he's in his late 20s and he's still regarded as a kind of young player who just gets loaned out every year. Um, and to be fair, has a lot of bad luck with injuries. Um, but like someone like Con- Conor Gallagher, he's just had a season on loan at West Brom. He's now a season on loan at Crystal Palace, had a good start. At what point is he ever going to go back and get in the Chelsea team? Probably never, because they just stockpile, stockpile elite players. And those players are happy to go and join Chelsea because, well, for a start, they're paid an extraordinary amount of money. They get to live in a lovely area, play football in a in a glamorous part of West London and always be competing for top trophies. And even if you've got five other players who play the same position as you, you'll probably across the season where you're playing four or five competitions, you'll get enough football. Depends on how ambitious you are. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I just you do just sometimes have to pause and look at the state of the game and think just how fair is that you know is but I don't know how, I, I, I have absolutely no suggestion as to how you um, change that by the way and I you know so I, I don't have a solution I am just kind of you know venting or not so much venting but but just asking these kind moaning. of open yeah yeah just moaning <laughs> but these open-ended questions really about I don't yeah. know just think, well, what's what's the kind of what's the point in it? And it and it also means that someone like Arsenal, who are in a period of seems like endless deterioration, are I don't know, what's the what can be the extent of their ambition now? Because if they're never gonna be able to spend the money and now that they've got themselves out of kind of elite European competition, that will limit the type of players that they can recruit as well. So unless something really quite um out of the ordinary happens, like uh, you know, which I guess would would have to be a, an exceptional crop of players that they got as a result of academy products and and canny purchases happen to all collide at the same time, and an an inspirational manager is kind of you know taking control of all that, and then they they overachieve one season, they get break that glass ceiling again, and then they're back in, and then they can make hay while the sun shines, then it's difficult to see. But but then I, I know that everyone will always throw in the, the Leicester example. We we did a podcast ages ago, didn't we, about whether anyone could ever do another Leicester. Mm. You could say no, but then I guess no one thought Leicester would do a Leicester, did they? Mm. And Leicester, Leicester are a team. But then don't the underestimate Leicesters. how much money Leicester have got. Yeah, yeah, your Leicesters and your Leicesters <laughs> and your Leicesters. But like, but it, but what saddens me is that you've got you've got clubs in that in that Premier League that are you know when when we think about what constitutes a big club, right? It's your history, it's the size of your club in terms of like your your fan base. They're the two real big things, you know. Like, is your stadium full every week? Would it be full even if you had a stadium twice the size? What what's the 
kind of pedigree of that club? What's it achieved historically? How long has it been supported by such a large number of people? And you look at clubs like Newcastle United and Leeds United, they are giant one city football clubs, massive. They are as big as, as pretty much anyone else. So, you know, there's a couple at the very top that are, are bigger, but there aren't many bigger in English football. And you've got to ask yourself, well, when are either of those teams, clubs, likely to, to be in a position to challenge for the league title? Now, I remember Leeds won the league in the last season before the Premier League started. And Newcastle are obviously almost like, you know, they've become a bit of a joke, aren't they? But, they, you know, but how amazing, how good would it be for football in this country if Newcastle were in a position to, to challenge at the top? So, I mean, you, you talked about sort of how dreary and, and sort of tiresome you, the whole transfer saga can be. Did you did you find it interesting during um, Sunderland Till I Die and they signed that player at the last minute? Um, I can't remember. The, the, the chairman who took over and he sort of was all out of options and uh, he bought that player. And it, so when he signed Will Grigg, I think it was Will Grigg. Yeah, it? yeah. And uh, it didn't really... The second season. Uh, yeah, yeah. Second season of Sunderland Till I Die, second series, sorry. The, the slight sense of, um, I guess it was almost the amateurism that was quite intriguing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, just when people, they were just trying to cut a deal and it was all a bit like Alan Sugar down like the market. market trading, absolutely. Never <laughs> underestimate. That's that's the, pro- that's the problem. I think it's easy to overestimate the, the how well run these clubs are. Look at some of the cowboys that managed to get hold of and control these clubs. I mean, they're not, they're not, they're not professional outfits. And when you get the rare opportunity to have one of these documentaries and you, you can see behind the magician's cloak and you realise, bloody hell, it really is a shambles. But also, when you're when you're dealing in transfers in that fashion, so scrap it around for a last-minute bargain that you think is going to solve your problems or appease fans who might be getting edgy or, dare I say, entitled um, <laughs> and make it a bit of a noise, then... Um, it's it really is fifty fifty which way is the wind blowing as to whether that's going to work out for you or not. Some clubs get lucky, some don't, but but it really is kind of luck of the draw. Because also you've got to ask if you if you're in that position, you've got kind of got to ask the question: Why is this player available at this stage in the in the tra- you know it's like like the last apple on the shelf, you know? Why is that? You turn it over <laughs> and it's rotten underneath. <laughs> yeah, it looks looks all right, shiny and green or red on the top, but. You know, so there's a yeah, there's a bit of that, and there's not many examples of genuine like you know quarter to midnight or whatever it is on transfer deadline day signings that have been like era defining players for that particular club. You might get a little bit of a short term bounce, but what you're getting now these these kind of that I used to find slightly nauseating overhyped uh, transfer deadline day kind of marketing exercises on Sky Sports News where the presenters would wear their yellow and it, we're all supposed to be like overwhelmed with uh, intrigue that Peter Robert Odenwingi is on his way to QPR and but but in the but but you used to get like big things happening like Berbatov going from um, from Tottenham to Old Trafford and uh, Liverpool wasting 35 million quid on Andy Carroll. Um, I can't remember the last time something really that big was genuinely done like last minute you know suddenly come out of nowhere two hours before the window closes so I think 
maybe maybe clubs have got a little bit better at running their um, running themselves in a professional way. Um, but yeah, so it is it is it is mostly dull. And I actually think that the um, the media outlets who broadcast this, both radio and TV, I think they I think they actually know that now. They don't quite hype it up as uh, relentlessly as they used to, and that's all the better for it because it's rubbish. Mm. But it's great. But but great well, material. Over, yeah, but it is great to have football back. I will say it's been great. I've been to two football matches um, in the last uh, two weeks, consecutive Saturdays, and it's absolutely amazing. And it just goes to show I can be cynical about um, you know the the money in the game and the the the, the side of the modern day football fan that turns my stomach and. Uh, all the other stuff, the, the kind of, you know, superficial nonsense that people fixate upon. But the, the the purity and the joy of just going into a football ground, the emotion of being part of a communal experience and singing along with people who are kind of on the same side as you. Ah, oh, there's nothing like it. And that's when you realise, yeah, you know, there's still plenty to go before I fall out of love with this thing. And that's that's kind of what it's all about. That to me is more important than whether they win or lose. It's just that that experience and that that the joy of that communal experience, whether they, you know, whether they win the league at the end of it or not, is is it's fantastic when they do. But it doesn't mean that you ask for your money back when they don't. And there we go. That'll probably do for this week, Matt. That's where. Uh, <laughs> as I want to watch Finland against Wales. In <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so on that bombshell, it's time to say uh, it's great to be back and goodbye and we'll have something to say next week. Christ knows what, but we'll have something to say. <laughs> <laughs>